Get ready for the Very Visible Business Podcast with David Averin. Each week featuring a candid and raucous conversation with some of the most innovative, outspoken, and entrepreneurial business minds in the world today. This is the Very Visible Business Podcast, and here's David Averin. And welcome to the Very Visible Business Podcast. My name is David Averin, and we are continuing in the rugged husky voice uh, version of this as I continue to fight this cough, but I think I sound uh, more ruggedly handsome like... Uh, uh, I could do Dodge truck commercials or something like that. Uh, listen, hey, but but you're you're right to tune into this episode because if you're a fan of some of the business turnaround shows, we love in our house. We love watching um, Bar Rescue and Restaurant Impossible and Marcus Lemonis, of course, the king of all of them on the Profit. And and as we watch sort of these business turnarounds and you understand some of the challenges that these businesses have. My wife, who is completing her master's degree right now in industrial organizational psychology, and we sit and we and we and we pause it. I probably do more than she does. I'm a little more annoying. As we look at try to identify some of the challenges and the problems. You know, Marcus Lemonis talks about people and product and process. Our guest today is a master of all of those things. Um, and I, even more so, I think he brings together uh, not only uh, an, an innate understanding of process, which is something I struggle with, but he's been able to combine that with a real deep understanding of, of human psychology and, and, and leadership and influence. And I'm thrilled to have him. And before um, we actually talk to him, I'm going to give the, the formal introduction, put on my smart glasses. Dr. Brian Smith is the founder of IA Business Advisors, where over 18,000 business owners and managers have turned for advice for their companies. He's also the author of the book, Individual Advantages, Finding the I in Team, which I have just read for the second time, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that as well. Um, but this is the first in what is going to be a series of books. The Find the I in Team um, helps anyone who reads it gain a better understanding of themselves and the influences that affect their lives. He can be heard uh, with his daughter, Mary, on voiceamerica.com business network, where each Friday they host the I in Team podcast, where they discuss the influences that affect different industries and businesses around the world. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. Thank you very much. Listen, um, I, I've watched you over the years. We, we've, been, um, we've been colleagues for, for 20 plus years, I think, or at least coming up on that. And I've, and I've watched you grow and watch from afar and we've had the opportunity to sort of connect over the years as you have built businesses, helped other businesses turn around, offer services and, and, and insights through, uh, through your biz doctor. And we can talk about the growth of that, but thousands, tens of thousands of businesses who've turned to you for advice, but you've also done a lot of this on your own to build your own businesses. I think you're probably up to 50 businesses. Most people will struggle to uh, create one or two in their career and you're up to 50. Um, Talk to us a little bit about your journey, because then I want to talk about, for those listening in the small business, medium-sized business owners who, who listen to this podcast, um, to help us sort of look around the corner, look over the horizon. What are some of the, the challenges that you see time and time again, the mistakes being made time and time again, so that they may be able to shorten that learning curve? Well, uh, first, as far as history goes, you know, back in... Uh, High school, I got involved in junior achievement because I was somewhat entrepreneurial as a high school student. Um, I washed cars on the weekends, you know, just, just you know, kids had uh, lemonade stands. I had a car wash business. And then I went in the military and uh, 
got an education because of the military and had an opportunity to be, uh, have a regular job, right? And I worked for an accounting firm and I hated it. I hated the actual bureaucracy that went into working for a large company. Now there's a lot of security in that and, I'm, and it's for a lot of people, but for me being, having an entrepreneurial spirit from high school, it just didn't fit well. So what happened was I had an opportunity to uh, be in the accounting world, helping people install accounting systems in the late 80s, early 90s. And that afforded me to learn, have mentors in a new space technology back in the late 80s and 90s, uh, PC-based systems. I don't care if they're accounting systems or CRM or email even, were just in their infancy. So I was lucky to be born when I was. I was lucky to have the educational foundation, which is numbers and accounting, which is important in every business. Yeah. And I was lucky to uh, have mentors and have an opportunity to learn about business and the integration of people, process, and technology from the very moment that it actually started to affect businesses. And uh, what that did was laid a foundation for me to be entrepreneurial. And as we grew our business and became more involved in small companies, trying to implement these technologies, we were able to understand the effects they had on the people, the effects they had on the process, and over time, refine how we approach those problems. And when you do that from the start of the evolution of a new technology, and you're continuously working with that as technology grew, and technology became more a part of our everyday life, we just pivoted with it and we developed a business that was focused on that problem, on choosing the right technology that married with people. And as we did that, we encountered people who tried to start businesses or tried to buy businesses or tried to grow businesses. And we learned about all the other problems that happened in their businesses as we were just trying to help them in this one very laser focused area. And we also learned they couldn't afford to get our help. And what happened was, is I began trading my services and what we did for equity in their business. Um, and that has morphed into people come to us now and asked, how do we start? How do we transition? How do we go through succession? Um, how do we change technologies? How do we implement technologies? And it's, it's taken us to where we are today at IA, which is a full service business advisory from cradle to grave, if you will. I mean, we take people to their sunset and oftentimes they sell, oftentimes they pass it on, sometimes they close it, but we're, we are afforded that unique position today. So when you started in the business, it was, it was really understanding or helping others understand technology as a, but as you said, it, it's grown. And so now you're looking at, at, at process and everything else. Um, how do you make the decision? I mean, for what, what is it? Well, let me ask it this way. What's the catalyst for those who come to you today with IA Business Advisors? What are, what are the problems that they're facing that they're recognizing, I need help? You look at some of the business turnaround shows and, you know, it's a casting process, isn't it? Because they're not only looking at, at potential problems within the company, but is there something that's interesting enough to make it to television? But right. not everybody's got a sexy problem, but, but people have challenges with cash flow, with people issues. What's the catalyst for them to reach externally and say, help us see what we're not seeing? 
Yeah, usually in our world, because we've become somewhat niche uh, in that by the time they get to IA, um, it's a reactive reach out to us. They have hit the wall with high turnover. They've hit the wall with they've run out of money. They've hit the wall with they've been overrun by a competitor. Um, and the reasons for that, they've lost understanding for that. Um, they have hit the wall with age. I mean, they just, they don't have the energy left because uh, they've been in an industry so long, they don't know how to do succession. So usually it's people who have gotten to a point where the frustration level is so high that they don't know where else to turn. And they've turned to somebody um, who we, it's either directly to us, but quite frankly, 70 to 80% of the people we do work with is a referral through a law firm, an accountant, an insurance agent, or a friend um, who we've touched over the years, having over 18,000 past clients, and those past clients include current clients. Sure. Um, we have a fairly wide network of people that we've dealt with. So it, it, it has proven to be just this large funnel. And But I would say 90% of it is people have gotten to a point where they just don't have an answer they realize that they don't know what they don't know. I mean, it's become clear, right? you know, and they just, they've, they've so frustrated they need help. How frustrating is it for you, or is this the part that you love, that you're generally dealing with companies, with leaders in some measure of crisis? Does that fuel you, or is there a part of you that says, if you would just have called us six months earlier, um, you and I have talked about scenarios in the past where, where somebody came, they, they, didn't, they didn't like the, the cost of what it would take to fix it, and then they eventually came back three months later and they were in an absolute crisis situation. Um, clearly for our listeners, they're, they're not looking for that, that, that resource of last resort. We're looking to help them identify some of the challenges, make the, the, the course corrections, understand things better farther upstream so they don't get to that point. Um, What's your message for those who, uh, if you could wave that wand, if you could take the, the way back machine, as we used to talk about, um, and what's the message for them six months earlier or a year earlier? Yeah, so I think the biggest message I have is that it's okay to say you don't know. And it's, and it's, it's amazingly less expensive to reach out to a professional and say, look, can you just be on my shoulder so I can pick up the phone and ask you a question once in a while? And uh, that question might be validating. Um, you know, just be that person that supports my decision. Or it might be, hey, I'm going to be devil's advocate, but find somebody in your sphere of influence that you can trust to reach out and ask those questions to. And if you don't have that person, do a little bit of due diligence and proactively find yourself somebody that can help you. And I know that sounds difficult, um, but the reality is there's a lot of people. Well, there's a lot of smart people out there. There are a lot of smart people out there. <clears throat> if one thing that happened uh, back in 2008, 2009, when we had this big recession and this big change um, that hit those of us who hadn't been through anything like that was, is a lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of very smart people did. And uh, there's a lot of opportunity to learn and you should right. never stop learning. Um, and you should never try to do everything in your organization by yourself. 
I mean, if you're a good plumber, then go plumb. You know, um, there are there are resources for you for taking care of billing so that you don't have cash flow problems. There's resources for you to understand how to hire properly. There's resources for you how to understand what your competition is doing. There's resources for you to stay organized. And it, if you put as much effort into uh, engaging in those areas that you don't understand and finding somebody to partner with that you put into social media, drinking with your friends, golfing, um, and you have that time. You know, one of the things, David, you know, that I preach about is slowing down. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you have that time. It's a matter of priority. And what we've seen over the years is that people automatically find that time when they're in duress. If they find it in duress, they surely had it when they weren't in duress. Right. Absolutely. But, but let me ask you this. Do you find, because I like the idea of the mentor, but I, one of the mistakes that I see, and, and I want to see um, what you think about this as well, is that people will substitute industry expertise for that, that lifelong friend who, who they think they're accomplishing the same thing because they found somebody who's going to tell them what they need to know. That you see anybody who's achieved a measure of success in politics and sports, they will surround themselves with their posse, with the people who they grew up with, who will tell them the truth when everybody else is being a yes man, pardon the gender specific reference or something else. But in business, it's different. Having somebody who will be honest with you, but without specific skill sets or industry knowledge, isn't particularly helpful. There's no shortage of entrepreneurs who are in business because somebody said, you should do this. My God, KC, that, that's like the greatest barbecue sauce you should be in business. And people have a measure of, of expertise in what they do, but that does not a business make. That's right. right. Yeah, you know, it's funny you bring that up is because this morning in my morning reading, uh, I always look on social media and I go to specific areas. I go to the groups that we subscribe to, you know, I go to those areas where we can have some influence. And one of the things that frustrates me is when I go into these groups and somebody asks a question that should be directed more towards somebody like myself or somebody in my field, which is we're business advisors and we have a specialty in this particular industry. Um, helping them grow that business. And somebody who's been through one experience will give this person advice that is absolutely horrible. Right. And the person does it all the time. And it amazes me that they continue to do that. Um, I call that ego consulting. Um, and, yeah. you know, our egos are good for us and bad for us. And, when choosing an advisor, you're right, David. Choose somebody that's not going to be a yes man. Choose somebody that's going to challenge you. Also, I like the word, I like to use it, is outsourced accountability. Outsource accountability to somebody else. Because we as humans are not good about holding ourselves accountable. We will find a way to convince ourselves that whatever we're doing has justification. And accountability goes out the door. Until that time when accountability is forced on us. And that's usually, again, that in a crisis situation. Yeah, exactly. They've got it. Well, that, that's, I think, what's driven um, the, the whole genre of CEO peer advisory groups, the YPOs, the Vistages as well. They know that once a month, 
They're going to walk into a room, close the door, take off the mask and hash out their biggest challenges with others who know what they're doing. They're all in the same CEO level. And the, the good groups, they, the, the smaller groups, because of course I led these for some time and they call the newer groups, <laughs> excuse me, they call them, <laughs> whoops, there we go, fighting this cough. Um, they call them the country club groups because they're still posturing a little bit, they're still getting along, but the groups that have been together for years, they call them armed and dangerous. These are the ones who tell them what they need to hear. They'll say, you know, somebody will bring something and say, Frank, why the heck are we talking about this again? We've done this for the last three months in a row. You're either gonna fire him or you're gonna make a commitment, but I don't wanna talk about this again. Are you gonna honor your commitment? Are you gonna, and there's a phenomenal dynamic when that happens and that they have that opportunity. Being able to outsource some of that is really important. I see this a lot in, um, on the social media. You know, I speak for a living. So if you go to the Facebook page for the National Speakers Association, I think we have like 3,000 members in the association, but there's 20,000 members of the Facebook page. And talk about the blind leading the blind. I, I heard a great, um, a great analogy for newer speakers. They call it um, mm -hmm. um, ignorance on fire. Right. So these people are very excited. They want to go share their message. But the people who are offering feedback. What do you think? I, oh, you should do this. You should. And 95% of them aren't making a living doing this. So so in, in leaving this part of the conversation, I think it's really important. I think it's a great message to make sure that people before they get themselves in crisis um, have that sounding board um, and have somebody who understands what they're doing. And let's pivot a little bit here. Your business, the IA stands for individual advantages. And this has been your moniker for decades and a lot of discussion around it. You've been talking about it in your book as well, discussion with your wife and others. Um, talk about what it means to you. What was the, the genesis of the name and how has it driven so much of the work that you do, not only with the 50 plus companies that you own, but with the companies that you work with? Because I think this is one of your unique differentiators of understanding, as the book says, the I in team. Right. So the IM team is a misnomer. You know, it's uh, the IM team is not the individual. And uh, but individual advantages came to be because I believe that the individual is the most important, uh, the most important person or thing moving forward. And by that, I mean that when we're alone, we're individual right? And we create our own advantages. And when we're together with another person pointing towards a common goal, we are individual. We're working individually as two of us. And that goes for entire departments, entire companies, entire countries, entire cities. When we come together uh, in a common goal, we are individual. We are individual in purpose. We are individual in our goals. Yep. And we act individually and, and individually doesn't mean singularly. I mean, we might all have our individual unique roles within whatever group we're working in, but it's a common, uh, common goal. So what we have attempted to do at individual advantages is, is to teach people that distinction so that when we go into companies, we, we bring up, that individual person, first of all, we make that person be the best they can be, because if that person isn't the best they are for themselves, they could never be the best they could be for everybody else. And, and oftentimes that's confused with being selfish or self-centered or right. narcissistic, but it's not. Right. But, you talk about, but you talk about the, the gifts 
right? What is it that we bring to the table and yes. being better in touch with what that is? And that's not touchy feely. That's understanding your ability to contribute. Correct. What is it that you bring to the table and organizations that understand that and the individual themselves that understand how do I bring forth those gifts, those skills, that upbringing, that mindset. That's the part that I found so um, validating in the book. Yeah, right. It's, it understand, that's why the first book was find the I in team. And, and I'll let everybody know that the, the I in team is influence. And every individual has influence. And uh, as you know, David, I think the biggest responsibility we have as an individual, as an individual singularly, or however that, that comes together, is our influence. And our influence begins before we're even born. You know, when, when our parents found out that they were pregnant with us, we already started to influence their lives. And we weren't even breathing air yet. Yep. Our lungs. And we were already influencing the future of people's lives. And that never stops. Even after uh, we pass and we've, we've reached the end of our physical life, we are still influencing. There's a legacy. There's memories. And uh, it carries on. Very few, if any, people in all of humanity just cease to have influence in the right. area. So influence is the biggest responsibility we have as humans. And the commingling and understanding of what it is to be individual and what our influence is, regardless as if we're acting alone or if we're acting in concert with others. What that influence is and what, what we do with it that's our advantage. And I think that we have a responsibility to understand those advantages and understand what we do for others, what we what, understand how we influence and how that influence uh, affects people and have empathy and all the things that go that are wrapped around that are what our organization and what my writing is all about. Yeah. And what I like about it also is you talk about a very challenging upbringing that you had. And, and I like that you, you, a lot of the messages, a lot of the lessons are through the stories, but it's not a biography. I mean, you're, you're incredibly vulnerable in the stories that you share, but I think they're very relevant and applicable because I think people will look at their lives right now, look at their position within an organization, whether they are the leader, whether they are the owner, or they are a contributor. Um, and sometimes that people will question. I don't, sometimes it's, it's full out imposter syndrome, but other times it's just, well, how much do I have? How much of a voice? And I think what you really um, clarify that I enjoyed, I think even more the second time I read it, was recognizing where you come from gives you unique insights. You know, there's an old line that we all make impact. Uh, we just decide whether it's a positive or a negative impact impact. Um, but I think you make that case very well for influence. But I think it's relevant and applicable, which is as we're building organizations, as we're, whether it's a small company or having a real cognizance of that influence that we have, our role as an individual, our responsibility in terms of our individual contribution, um, really sets the stage for, for our strategic planning, doesn't it? What yeah. is it we accomplish? Do we have the right people in the right seats in the bus, as we talk about as well? But I think that's what a lot of the assessments, the Myers-Briggs and the, and the strengths finders try to um, help us recognize as well, is where are we coming from? What do we have to contribute? Right. You know, um, a good part of the work that we do, the projects that I'm working on currently uh, have to do with not just the technical skills of uh, people in organizations, 
but how people get along, you know, and we use disc and I don't care which, uh, right. they're all, they all reveal something they do, you know, but I think that the hiring process and the management process should include those tools because they help you understand a person's strengths and a person's weaknesses and a person's vulnerabilities. And when you understand those, you also start to understand the strengths, weaknesses, and vulnerabilities of your organization that you're creating. And when you have a picture of all of the people that are working together, um, if it's two or more, and you understand their strengths and weaknesses, you can actually start to develop the technical parts of what they do in a more cohesive way. You can understand who your leaders are, who your organized people are, who the strong personalities are, and those that need to be led more. I mean, because there are, there are people in all aspects. And when you commingle technical work with the psychological human uh, phenomenon, yeah. really what it is, that's, right. that's the breakdown. Right. But, but that's where I think you bring a unique skill set um, in that there are, there are organizations who will come in and can handle, help you develop process and structure, which I am incredibly weak at. I acknowledge where my skill sets are and, and I backfill those that aren't. Um, but you also bring a level of emotional intelligence. And sometimes that tends to be a different firm. That is, that is somebody who's going to come in and, and, and look at the, uh, the people part of it and the psychological part. And, and you with your, your biz vision processes, I've looked at this, like, honestly, it, it is, for me, I so appreciate people who have that skill set to be able to really create process and help organizations and individuals who are very good at what they do. They may have a level of passion, um, certainly some skill sets, but unless you can map that out, it's really hard to map out the future, isn't it? Yes. But able to combine both of those um, takes into account not only the structure, but the p behavioral and the mindset part. And I, that's one of, the, one of the things I see missing um, is that recognition, the cognizance. There, is, there are those big holes within organizations that will doom them, not necessarily in terms of failure, but in terms of, of where they could possibly be. It will right. always restrict their growth, won't it? Yes, it does. And the marrying of that understanding is really the gap. Uh, that comes when you either hire a firm who is solely focused on the organizational structure. And I, by that, I mean, you know, how people get along or people that are solely focused on the technical structure, the, the, the process. And it takes a marrying of those two at the same time to really effectively have good organizational change. Otherwise, you're constantly creating new gaps. Every time that you create a process change, if you don't understand the organizational structure, the personality of not just the individuals, but the whole individual that is that, that organization, you're, you're, you're fracturing it. And similarly, if you're giving people leadership skills, but you don't understand the technical side and you're overdoing it, you know I like to talk about balance. Right. And so... Not that I'm disparaging the work that's done. I just wish when people went through these processes, they would marry them and they would, uh, I don't believe in too much change at once, but I do believe that the psychological issues that happen during the change process of technical changes need to be addressed simultaneously. Otherwise we create the ripple effect. Right. And we don't understand what that ripple effect is. The ripple effect being 
as that change reverberates through the organization, we create new problems that we never understood. And those problems could be tangible or intangible. Right. But, and even for smaller businesses who are, don't have maybe significant initiatives or, or large, every time you're chasing that new shiny object and, and not disparaging shiny objects because there's some phenomenal opportunities, but with every stage of growth, with every new opportunity, you are creating holes, aren't you? Now you yes. need a process to backfill that. You need the cash flow to make sure that we can develop that technology, that new skill set to be able to deliver. We've got to market it what needs to happen. And sometimes we get leaders who are very squirrel, squirrel, um, and people scrambling to fill that in. Yeah. So. Yeah. We, uh, three of the most high profile clients we've had in the last uh, two years initially came to us to grow sales. They're very sales centric CEOs. Right. And we need to grow sales. We need to grow sales. I have bad cash flow. And my first question is always this. If I grow your sales by 30%, what will happen to you? Well, I have more money. I'm like, okay, but can your team support that growth? Do you have the cash to support that growth? Well, yeah, the cash will come from the sales. Well, right, doesn't work that way. But you collect money 30 and 40 days later, but you have to pay your employees today. You have to pay your vendors, you know, in your organization today. So, you know, this is where the balance comes in and where we start to teach a leader about balancing his decision-making and understanding that growth is going to have, that the changes that are going to come in the sales are going to have a ripple effect through operations and then carry that through to your administrative staff who supports both sides of the business. And they all need to be prepared. They need to be prepared technically, and they need, need to be prepared emotionally for the changes that are going to happen. Right. And I think for those who are listening, I think they need to have a real cognizance. Um, I'm all about growth. I'm all about chasing new opportunities. Um, <clears throat> but if you take that time to slow it down, not slow down in the way where people think, well, I'm going to get bypassed, but understand the structural things, the, um, um, the, the process, the people, the things that need to happen during that process. I like how you said it's simultaneous because oftentimes people are looking to clean up or they have this great growth and all of a sudden they've lost their top three people because of internal stresses that happen. I think it's, I think it's great wisdom um, for uh, a great cognizance of that. Now listen, for, for our listeners, as a good takeaway, talk to me about some of the early warning signs that, that should not be ignored. And maybe it's not the sign that we need to quickly bring in a consultant, but maybe it's the sign that we need to slow down. Maybe it's a sign that we need to take a day off site um, and do a strategic planning and saying, okay, this is coming. What are we not seeing? What are some of the signals that, um, that, that leaders might look for to recognize that, um, that there may be problems down the road? So uh, one would be uh, consistent. If, if you had, let's say, somebody who was very consistent, they all of a sudden become inconsistent. Um, missing deadlines, you know, staff members who start to miss deadlines, staff members who start to push deadlines out. All of a sudden, what used to take them five days to get a task done now takes them six, seven, eight, ten days. Um, Having to scramble at the last minute to meet obligations. I don't care if it's time obligations or money obligations. Uh, client fulfillment obligations, when you start to see people uh, stressing to meet their obligations, you know that you've expanded your organization in some way 
to a point to where that balloon, your, your utilization um, is coming to an end for the group of people that you have. Um, also, if you're starting to see a, a high number uh, of absences or tardiness that starts to happen through, that becomes pervasive or uh, is in one area of your company, that means they might be overstressed. Um, they might be, uh, have internal issues that are keeping them even sometimes subconsciously from coming to work on time. Uh, uh, any changes in behavior, any changes in the technical aspects when I believe by managing by exception, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're managing reactively. What it means is that we create exceptions so that we become aware of the changes earlier. And right, right. if we can become aware of the changes earlier, we can make pivots and develop strategies and tactics that can address that so we don't hit the edge of that balloon and, and reach an area that stresses us too much where we lose people, we lose money, we lose customers, um, we lose vendors too. I mean, if you have, you, you might have vendors complaining to you about what you're doing to them. Okay. All of a sudden you had a great relationship with a vendor and now that vendor is talking about how you're abusing them or you're not doing what you used to do with them. You need to go back to the root of that question. Yep. In terms of, of conversations with staff, and I think those who are listening, I think you're going to get a lot of people um, nodding their head in recognition. And I think for those of us who were, who were groomed early on with uh, Michael Gerber with the E-Myth, and we recognize when, uh, when instead of delegating, we abdicate. Um, do you think that is the, um, the root cause of, of maybe avoiding some of those hard conversations with important staffers who might be falling short um, of recognizing that we don't want to rock the boat because we can't lose that person. Um, I think we see that a lot in small business owners and that, and that these problems tend to exacerbate and perpetuate because there's a reluctance to deal with them for fear of, of, um, of losing that staffer. Yeah, well, I think generally speaking, humans just don't like to deliver bad information. It makes us feel bad, yeah. make others feel bad. I think that's inherent in just being human. So when you become the person who has to hold people accountable, you put yourself in a very negative, as far as humans are concerned, very negative position. You're delivering something that can be viewed as negative. Changing that discussion uh, in our organization has been, look, Criticism and accountability are a, are a positive thing, not, not a negative thing. You know, there's a buzzword out there, progressive discipline. You know, I, 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 we have to use that term because it really best fits, but discipline is a negative term. And discipline shouldn't be about being negative. It should be about helping people to be better. And uh, so, yeah, you know, you really need to, if you can't have hard conversations, find somebody that can help you have those hard conversations. We have a whole slew of clients that just retain us to have difficult conversations. If they have to terminate somebody, if they have to change something, they don't do it themselves. They actually have us handle how that is, is conveyed to the organization and how it's managed through the organization because they have recognized they're just not good at it. Right. It's, it's George Clooney and up in the air. 
right? Yeah. People that, that are that are brought in. But one of the other things I like you talk about in, in the book is, is sometimes you'll help organizational leaders, and we did this in the Vistage world as well, recognize that that as they gradually move up into a CEO or supervisory position, they lose where their real skill sets, it's part of the Peter principle, I guess, of, um, of doing the actual work. Right. And that sometimes the advice is maybe you shouldn't be the person in that role. You can have that ownership role, you can have that revenue role, but there is somebody else that might be better at operations, that might be better at, at um, the strategic part, and that keep the people in the jobs that they're good at. Right. Yeah, um, you know, I tell a story in the book about one of our clients on the West Coast that has a really successful truck, uh, diesel truck uh, yep. business, and they 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 repair trucks, and they had grown into almost almost eight figures, and the owner had slowly migrated himself off the work floor and into an office because that's where he felt he needed to be as his organization grew, and as he grew into that, he lost touch with the people on the floor and the personality of the business started to change and all of a sudden they started having cash flow problems and they started having organizational problems and well guess what he's a mechanic he, he was barely qualified to manage his own money and right we got referred and we created a space for him back on the floor the story goes on to talk about how we put him back on the floor and we hired uh, a COO to come in and provide that executive, if you will, administrative oversight, do the things that he just really wasn't qualified to do. Yet, we didn't lo lose the personality of the company. We didn't take away him being the owner. We developed the metrics and the accountability. So he knew what was happening all the time, but he still got to be up or on the floor you know, commingling with the customers, working with his team side by side, and that company grew, it grows every year. So it's been an amazing client for us and an amazing journey for that, uh, for that company. What is your, we're talking to Brian Smith here from IA Business Advisors. What's your favorite part of your job? What's your favorite part of what you do? Uh, I think my favorite part is the learning process. So um, when I go into an organization, I take a lot of time to understand individually each person that I'm going to have influence over. And then as I'm doing that, I'm learning individually the influence that they have as a team. And I love the process of developing that foundation because it makes me intuitive. As we transition from the biz vision process, the learning process, to the change process, I become more intuitive about what I can do. So I love that part because it makes me a better advisor. It makes the people that I work with better because they know how I work and they know how the process works. And it also sets them up to understand the change process and to accept the change process better. So laying that foundation through the learning process is what I like the best. We're talking to Dr. Brian Smith, the founder of Individual Advantages, IA Business Advisors. And um, if people want to get in touch with you, they want to, to uh, gain some of your insight and potentially engage the firm, how do they do that? Well, one is go to our website, which is iabusinessadvisors.com. Um, you can also reach out on social media. We have a fairly robust social presence. Um, your Biz Doctor at Twitter 
um, IA Business Advisors uh, on uh, Twitter and on Facebook. So um, you can also send an email, uh, brian at iabusinessadvisors.com. Um, you can also read our book, uh, Individual Advantages. We're going to hold it up here for those who are watching the video version of this on my website and on YouTube as well. I'll give the plug for you so, uh, so you don't have to do it. The book is Individual Advantages. Find the I in team. And the next book is going to be what? It's uh, Be the I in team. So it's the same Individual Advantages, Be the I in team. Outstanding. And Yep. And, and I was going to say this, um, it's available uh, Amazon.com. It's on, available on Audible as well. And the I in Team podcast is available on VoiceAmerica.com, Business Network. It's on Stitcher and iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify as well. It's Brian and his brilliant daughter, Mary, uh, discussing business and guests as well. Fascinating. I've had the privilege of being on that as well. And then once again, watch for the second book, which is uh, Be the I in Team. Brian, thank you for... Uh, for joining us here on the podcast. Thank you so much, David. I appreciate the Very Visible Business Podcast is sponsored by the Customer Experience Advantage Morning Huddle. Your next million dollar idea will likely come from your own team, but only if you create the space for challenging, powerful internal conversations. Learn how membership in the Customer Experience Advantage can give you the content and the questions and the tools to facilitate a weekly morning huddle with your team. You can learn more and watch sample video lessons by visiting thecxadvantage.com. Be sure to like this podcast, The Very Visible Business. Hit the subscribe button and to see the video version of this interview and learn more about my speaking and consulting, you can visit visibilityinternational.com. And of course, my brand new book, Why Customers Leave and How to Win Them Back was just named by Forbes as one of the seven business books that entrepreneurs need to read. Um, pick it up. It's, uh, it's on Audible and it's on Kindle and it's Amazon and everywhere as well. Be sure to tune in to other ones. Be sure to subscribe, as I said, other great interviews. And if there's somebody that you think would be great for this, feel free to reach out to me, david at davidavern.com. Have a great day. For past and future episodes, be sure to subscribe at theveryvisiblebusiness.com. You can also learn more about David Avern's keynote speaking and consulting at visibilityinternational.com. Connect with us on social media and check out David Averin's latest book, Visibility Marketing at Amazon.com. This has been the Very Visible Business Podcast with David Averin. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Dot <laughs>